On this Sega Talk, we cover the hack and slash adventure game that introduced a long running manga to Western audiences. Why did it take so long? Who is Gatsu? Find out on Sega Talk. Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Hello and welcome to episode number 108 of Sega Talk. I'm Barry, with me is George. I think it's 109. No, it's 108. You were off last time. Oh. I had to correct it. Did you? Okay, my bad. So, yeah. zero, but why does the note say zero nine? I updated it. Okay, my bad. The, right, the headline. That, you that's, know what? <laughs> It's very rare for me but, to be wrong once in a decade, you know, so it's not that bad. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, anyway, on episode 108, you can go back and count them. Uh, we are going to be talking about Sword of the Berserk Guts Rage. And before we do that, I just wanted to drop uh, some uh, info on y'all. Um, if you click on over to segabits.com, you can find the Shenmue voice actors reunion panel that I moderated. It was great fun, but you can find the true full version exclusively on our website. Come at me, bro. That's where it is. Um, also, I wanted to mention that a few people at Sonic and Sega Fan Jam in Georgia a few weeks ago, which is where that thing happened that mm. that panel happened yeah, that. Uh, a few people a few people approached me george and they both said are you barry from sega talk and then Never they'd say where's george <laughs> <laughs> and so right um yeah so there was um a guy i think his name's mr din uh he was in an adam hunter cosplay he had the suspenders i think and the yellow shirt and uh so he is a listener so hello to him and then there was another dude I don't think I got his name or, you know, I'm, I'm not great with names. I don't even know George's name half the time, but, um, it was just really cool to like see people in person who are like, Oh, we listen to your show. And, and, you know, they're not my dad or something. That was right. pretty cool. Did you, so your dad <laughs> listens to this show too. Hi, Barry's dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so yeah, check that out. Tons of content from that. Um, it was just, it was a blast. Uh, I'm still recovering financially, <laughs> but I believe it. it was it was a pretty good time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on this Sega Talk, we are going to be taking a look at the 1999 Sega Dreamcast game Sword of the Berserk Guts Rage, which was released in Japan as Berserk Millennium Falcon Arc Chapter of the Flowers of Oblivion. <laughs> the game is based on a popular manga and is notable for having a well-known composer. As for the gameplay, it is pretty straightforward hack-and-slash adventure with quick timer events sprinkled throughout. And before we dive into the source material, uh, let's just take a moment to thank our Patreon supporter, Michael S., for selecting this episode. And um, before I read Michael's memories, George, can you plug our Patreon? Plug it in. So if you're a fan of Sega and you like watching us talk about your favorite Sega games, you can check us out on patreon.com slash sega bits. 
the only way to support the show is with your hard-earned money and we uh, appreciate it i think i made i think i kind of ruined this this plug because i said hard-earned money and now people are like well if it's hard-earned i'm not giving it to these two schmucks right no no it's okay. easily earned easily, easily given earned to money it. and easily given away so yeah. check us out we appreciate all your guys' support thanks and so yeah and you know thanks to supporters like you you actually helped pay for my hotel at Fan Jam, so that was helpful. At least I think you did. That money like came and went so fast. Right. Um, but you know, it's all the same bucket. In any case, um, Michael S. He is the picker of this episode, and here are his special memories that we get to read at the top of the show. So Michael says, "I played this around the time it came out. I really like the graphics and gore effects. I remember the boss with one horn." Maybe it was too, uh, was very difficult, took me forever to beat. I had no idea this was based on an anime until I saw the Golden Egg movies on Netflix. They are so awesome, but extremely dark, violent, and depressing. The game, on the other hand, is a lot of fun. It was really goofy with a naked fairy, bad voice acting, and crazy enemies. And we'll be reading more memories at the end of the show. But um, yeah, let's, let's talk about Berserk. So Berserk... It's a Japanese manga series written and illustrated by Kentaro Miura. The series is set in a dark fantasy world that features the characters Guts, who is a lone swordsman, and Griffith, who is the leader of a mercenary band called Band of the Hawk. And don't worry about Griffith because he is not in this game. No. It's kind of funny. He's like every every like synopsis I read, they're like, it's all about Guts and Griffith. And I'm like, well, not this game. Griffith no. is not in it not at, all. at all, which is, is kind of crazy. Um, the series kicked off in 1989 and ran through 1992 in the magazine a uh, Monthly Animal House, which is, I don't think has any connection to the, the movie Animal House, which no. is a very different right. situation. Uh, the series continued in the magazine Young Animal from 1992 to the present. And at the moment, there are 41 volumes. Uh, Mura unfortunately passed away in May 2021 with the final chapter that he wrote and illustrated published posthumously in September of 2021. Uh, however, death did not stop the series, as in June 2022, the series continued continued under the supervision of the creator's childhood friend, Kouji Mori, as well as a, a team of assistants. So, uh, George, when this episode was picked, you actually um, seemed pretty excited. So are, are you a fan of Berserk, and have you read the manga? I've read some of the volumes of the of the manga. Uh, mostly, well, you know, when you go to like uh, I don't know, like those bookstores, and you go to the manga section. Uh, Berserk was literally one of the mangas that always had the uh, tag that's like, if you're under, no one under twenty one or eighteen should be reading this. And so I was right. like, I have to read some of this, right? And yes, it's dark, and yes, it's depressing. I think the game itself isn't as dark as depressing as the actual source material is like they said it has cheesy voice acting it seems kind of it's gory but there's nothing too extreme happening on the screen where you're like oh okay that shouldn't be happening in a video game um right as have i read all of it no i haven't do i want to catch up yes but 41 volumes is a lot to read <laughs> and catch up to um i 
I what were you, uh, what was this the Netflix movies that they were talking about the Golden Egg or whatever those yeah yeah it's a trilogy of movies yeah. right I've seen those those are really really good but they're like a prequel to the comic so if you can start the comic these are flashbacks that have been throughout they just kind of put all the flashbacks into three movies um, right and I thought and I really like the world it, and uh, this game was pretty pivotal because like. It came out during a time when anime was really taking off in the West. And mm -hmm. a lot of us were really, like, hungry for anything anime-looking. So, right. the, like, the idea of having a berserk video game that's so ultra-violent, it was, like, it was a pretty good treat for uh, Western fans. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, talking about the manga... Um, uh, there's, you know, over 30 years of history there. So, of course, in this episode, we're not going to summarize that. I took a look at it. I'm like, it's too much. I'm not going to do it. Right. It's too much. And to be quite honest, if if you get if you start off reading it, I don't want to, like, spoil it for you because, I mean, hell, you know, like 30 well, years worth of history, I might, like, reveal that some major character that you spend, like, 40 volumes reading about dies. I'm not well, going to do that. It's like, it's like uh, Dragon Ball Z, right? Like part of the journey if you tell people how you ended what's the point of even watching right. the fights and the bad guys come out and all that right exactly so instead i thought we could run through the main characters both found in the game um as well as in the manga and read a portion of their biographies from the uh I, this is from the fan wiki so this is written by fans for fans so i'm going to be reading sort of the um description they have for each of the characters and when we get to a game exclusive character i'll call them out um and we can uh talk about them at the end so first up is the man of the hour we have guts so guts is renowned as the black swordsman he is a former mercenary and branded wanderer who travels the world in a constant internal struggle between pursuing his own ends and upholding his attachments to those dear to him at one time, driven solely by his will to survive, Guts finds purpose in life upon joining the Band of the Falcon, greatly helping in the faction's storied successes during the Hundred Year War as captain of the band's raiders. He eventually becomes dissatisfied with the clinging to Griffith's dream and departs from the band in the pursuit of his own. And following the horrors of the eclipse prompted by Griffith, Guts embarks on a two-year war against the God Hand and apostles becoming increasingly embittered uh, on his one-track quest of retribution. He, in time, realizes protecting his regressed lover is more important to him, as well as something he cannot do alone, and thus puts his quest for revenge while fostering camaraderie with new companions. And I would say Guts is very much like Mad Max. This is like right. Japanese Mad Max in a... Because so, something bad happened to this guy. He has the scars to prove it. But just like Max, like, Guts is going to, you know, not... He has a heart. Like, he cares about people. He just knows that, you know, you got to look out for number one as well. And, you know, even the names, like Guts, right. Mad Max, you know, it's like... It's it's almost like post-apocalyptic, but not. <laughs> it's interesting. So um, what do you think about the name Guts? Like when I first started reading it, I was like, oh, this is such Japanese cheesiness where they find a word that right. they, they think is really, really cool. So it's like, oh, this guy's name is Guts. I don't know if I like if, in a, if an American creator would call their character Guts. I think it's a very Japanese thing. Well, it's, like, it's, 
it's a cool sounding word yeah in Canon, right it's interesting because in the game um in the english dialogue they call him gatsu constantly mm -hmm. and it's wrong it's guts you don't right. need to it's almost like that nerdy friend of yours in high school who in 1999 is like actually it's called sonicu because wow. that's his name in japan so it's sonicu and nakazu and tezu and you're like it reminds me of of those um snl uh snl um japanese like uh club in high school you remember those ones like mm. we have uh sensei mark hoffman uh, and he's like a teacher in like an american middle school you gotta check those out but yeah it's like gatsu oh gatsu no it's guts it's it's annoying as hell um let's talk about casca okay so casca is a former unit commander of the band of the falcon and an estranged companion of Guts, originally a callow peasant girl living in a remote mountain village, she develops into a well-attuned warrior upon joining the Band of the Falcon and aids greatly in the group's storied success during the Hundred Year War. Following Guts' departure and Griffith's subsequent imprisonment, she is forced to assume the position of the band's leader, succeeding in preventing the complete annihilation of the Band of the Falcon and rescuing Griffith from the Tower of Rebirth. And I'd go on, but a lot of this stuff is not not even in the game. But right, you you get the idea of her there. What what do you think of Casca? Casca. Casca. Well, I think the only thing that kind of applies to her, like they talk to her about her being a great warrior, right? And this is like the prequel. Uh, yeah. In the game, she's definitely not the greatest warrior. She's not even mentally well. She's obviously kind of her mind is lost, as you could tell in the uh, in this game. And it obviously says it's, you know, crippled by the effects of the eclipse with Griffith. And, uh, yeah, I, I think she's a really interesting character in the manga. I think in the game, if you've never played the manga, you just be like, oh, this is, uh, like, a slow girl that's being helped by this really strong warrior. But there's more history to her and, and Guts' right. relationship. Uh, that makes it very interesting in the manga. In the in in the game, she kind of doesn't get the uh, justice of being the warrior she used to be, for sure. Because you know you're capturing right. her, this part of her life. Yeah, he she comes off as um, sort of like that mystery girl that you find in an RPG who can't speak, mm. and then turns out to be like a healer, right. you know. But that's not her. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, so essentially at this point in the story, Guts and his newly formed party of Casca and Puck, who we'll get to, they're um, trying to re uh, go to uh, Elfhelm to right. restore her mind. Right. And Puck, Puck is there to help. Puck has no penis. No. It's very strange. So Puck is the first companions that Gus Guts makes during his latter days as the Black Swordsman, Puck is an elf of the Pisky race, <laughs> descendants of the ancient spirits of wind. A former Denzian of Elfhelm, the idyllic elven realm of the Flower Storm monarch, he left out of sheer boredom and became Guts's new found companion ever since. What do you think of Puck? I like the idea of like the little fairy creature. Uh, Puck in this is very silly. Um, I think it's a good relief for having somebody like Guts. Because, like, Casca doesn't really have dialogue or scenes, so they have to have someone that is 
that's a little more normal in this world. And oddly enough, since this is not a normal world, Puck is that normal person that is trying to have the, you know, explaining to the character that's playing the game. Um, I like the design. Right. I like the idea of using a non non gender specific uh, elf, I guess, or fairy. That's cool. Non binary, like maybe. Non binary yeah. would probably be a better word, right? Yeah. And, uh, well, it has not, no sex at nothing. all, so no I don't know gender. How that works. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how that works. That's real uh, gender fluid. Yeah. So yeah. Nothing yeah, I I think Puck is weird, but kind of a fun weird, and it kind of reminds me too that. Um, Disney Plus is going to be having a Willow series like in the I've, next week or two. I've seen the commercials for that. It looks yeah, ridiculously and epic. If you've ever seen the movie Willow or haven't, like, I don't know, like, this is kind of scratching that itch for me, the whole puck thing. Like, it's right. just like, it's 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 worth checking out. I don't know. For some reason, Willow and Guts kind of remind me of each other for, for some strange reason. Um, next up, we have Rita. Rita! From the and as you can Power tell Rangers. from beautiful... Her beautiful artwork here, she is not from the manga. She's actually a game-exclusive character. She looks like, like, um, you know, like, uh, Mom, I want to have uh, Skies of, the girl from Skies of Arcadia. We have the girl from Skies of Arcadia at home. The girl yes. from Skies of Arcadia at home. <laughs> like, right, this is her. Uh, this is, uh, yeah. what's her name, Sticks, right, from Sonic Boom? Human yeah, version? pretty much. Um, so Rita and her troop are heading to the city ruled by Balzac, and we'll get to him, um, <laughs> when they are set upon by bandits, saved by Guts when the bandits considered taking Casca after she appeared. Rita formally introduces herself to Guts and expresses hope that he would attend her performance. The swordsman agrees after being harassed by Puck, but during the show, Rita's fellow performer job is attacked by the villagers when they recognized his growth as a mandragora. Guts ends up killing Job or Job with um, Rita livid before the swordsman and his group are taken to Balzac's fortress. Rita um, Rita's arrested for her association with Job. Rita was saved from being killed when Dunteth and his men raid the castle um staying by Guts' side until arriving to the rebels base where she remains with Casca while Guts heads off to the Mag Mandragora infested village to carry out Balzac's request. So she's kind of like the the damsel in distress like for this episode, this story. Right. Um she doesn't stick around for the series of course. What do you think of Rita? She does she serve her purpose well? She sees her purpose. I really like the scene where, you know, the whole breakup happens and then you have your first fight. Uh, I mm -hmm. think you need to introduce somebody like her for Guts to get involved in, in a way. So it's fine. But it is kind of a stereotype, right, to have a, a girl that you meet and then now Guts has to go and save her, right? So I don't know. In a way, I think it worked for the game, but it's also kind of lazy. They could have done something a little more epic, but... It works for a simple anime tie-in game we're talking about here. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Balzac. And I have two pieces of art. Um, there's an illustration of him, which looks pretty cool. And then there's his in-game model that makes him look like, I don't know, like a, a, like a guy cosplaying as like a, a lion. Or like, right. you know, like the Lion King Broadway show or something. It's really like wild. A Cats character or something. Like he's like, I'm a lion. <laughs> he does look like a guy from Cats. Yeah. <laughs> um, so during his youth... Balzac was a considerate ruler, 
But when his wife Annette fell ill, Balzac learned of the mandragora plant that spawned in a village near the borders of his domain. Managing to steal only part of its heart to use in his research to develop a drug extract for his wife. Well, it saved Annette's life and stopped her body from aging. It ravaged her mind as a consequence. The pressure of juggling his responsibilities as a ruler and a husband to his ill wife eventually got to him, causing him to become a bloodthirsty dictator. Regardless of the setback, using what fragment he had to infect the subjects into mandragorans to experiment on Balzac, using, uh, oh, Balzac believed he could restore his wife's mind if he were acquired the rest of the mandragora heart. The chance arrived the day Guts came to town with Puck and Casca. The barons requested the swordsman presence to his castle. After learning, he defeated a mandragoran. And of course, we were talking about Job, right. uh, Rita's buddy. So after showing Guts the dungeon where he's keeping the infected, Balzac convinces the swordsman to accept his request with the hope that the research can cure Casca of her mental illness. Even after Guts learns the truth about Balzac from the rebels, he continues the request regardless with Rita and some rebels accompanying him. But the Baron, having never intended to fulfill his end of the garden, has bargain has Casca imprisoned while ordering his men to follow Guts and kill him once the heart is in his possession. So this is clearly the bad guy. Mm-hmm. As you saw, he is a game-exclusive character. Mm. Um, I will say his voice is really good. Yes. It's like <laughs> um, the the voice actor, and I haven't been going through the voice actors for everyone here, but I did want to point out Cam Clark voices Puck. And if you've heard the name Cam Clark, it's probably because you're a fan of Leonardo from Ninja Turtles or Rocksteady. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's some pretty good ca- talent. Um, as for... Balzac, he's voiced by Earl Bowen, and he is best known for Secret of Monkey Island. He's the voice you hear in almost all the games. He has a very low voice, a very kind of affected, kind of like Brit, you know, like Brit, hello, yes, you know, like it's it's awesome. It's a great voice. Um, but what do you think of the character? I well. First of all, when I, when I first got this game, when he came out, I mean, everyone at the house couldn't stop making fun of him, right? His name is literally Balzac. Like, oh, you know, Balzac, oh, he sucks Balzac. You know, every time you would lose and get upset, it was like a mention of his name, right? Poor guy. Besides right. that, though, I mean, he looks like a typical king guy. I do like the idea that he's trying to do the same. He His accomplishments in this is the same thing that basically uh guts is with uh casca right she, he wants to uh he wants to fix her mind he wants to fix his wife but this guy's a bad guy obviously and you guys are he's doing it all wrong he becomes a cold-blooded person while it looks like guts after him trying to protect casca become quits his whole violent crusade and becoming a military commander just to save her so it's almost right. like they have the same path, just evil and once good. I, and I don't know if people even consider Guts a good a good person. Maybe a guy that's on his road to redemption, more like it. But yeah, right. So that's interesting. But yeah, that's yeah. He's, Guts is kind of like Boba Fett in right. in like the book of Boba Fett, where he's like not a good guy, but not a bad guy. Right. But he he clearly wants to do good, and I think the people around him kind of affect him and impact him, and I think. 
it's it's interesting because you get that dynamic where both Guts and Balzac have, you know, loved ones who are affected and they want to help them. But the difference is, is that Balzac is hurting everyone around him right. to aid his, to help his wife, kind of like Mr. Freeze, right? right. In uh, that, Batman. Like, where... Guts will do it with his own hand. And this guy's like, well, why don't you go do it for me? Because I'm, too, I'm not going to go do it myself, right? He's not going to go kill right, but then, But then as soon as Guts gets like close to finishing it, the quest, he'll like Balzac will swoop in, right? So he's like kind of like the worst James Bond or uh, worst Indiana Jones villain, <laughs> uh, you know? Like he's just he's a mess. Balls, it's a messy Balzac, right? I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we have Ariza, Ariza, and I do not know if she was in the manga. There was an illustration for her on the um, wiki, but this might just be for the game itself. And uh, she appears as a loving and nurturing nun, being close to a young village outcast named Nico, who she admired for living a blissful life despite facing hardships. After Nico died, Ariza became devastated and hateful of the injustices of human society. At one point, she became infected with the Mandragora. Even then, she still cherished those who lived lives of peace and defended the Mandragora-infected villagers and declared them to be innocent who only attacked when provoked. She despised violence, prejudice, and bloodshed. Finding people who can only express their desires through violence are the hardest to save or redeem. Her desires for happiness also made her delusional, mm-hmm. as she was willing to let the Mandragoran inf- infection spread and turn others into monsters unwillingly, as long as it kept the villagers safe and happy. So, you know, she's another dynamic of the three guy of the, of the, protagonist and the antagonist where she's kind of like you know she's she's not out there to do bad but she's definitely not doing any anyone right. any good by by right. making this happen i mean you gotta like um what's that that movie franchise 28 days later like she's just kind of like happy to sit back and let people get infected right. <laughs> you know it's like well not only uh, that she would, she would protect them and not treat them like monsters they're not monsters but at the same time it's almost like it's kind of like people that have COVID, right? They're not bad people, right? But you don't want to <laughs> let them around you because they'll spread it towards you, right? So it's the same idea, but she's like, oh, I'm going to help these people like a good Christian person should. But you got to understand that this is an effect- effective disease that could spread to you and could kill you. And... Uh, Sometimes you yeah. have to protect yourself, right? <laughs> I never, I never equated COVID with the Mandragora, but yeah, I guess you're right. Right. Um, it's definitely a big game about infection. Right. Um, let's talk about Zod. Zod's a weird one. Oh yeah, so, I love Superman Zod. Oh wait, this is not Superman. Sorry, go on. No, this is a different Zod. So Zod is a legendary swordsman and powerful apostle, said to have killed thousands of adversaries on the battlefield. After intervals of inactivity and purported death, Zod resurfaces on the battlefield to continue his slaughter, having done so unmitigated for 300 years. He possesses an intense thirst for battle, only sated by his long-spanning rivalry with the Skull Knight. His search for the ultimate strong one, I love that term, ultimate strong one, (laughs) leads him to submit to an in incarnated Griffith, whom he serves as one of the White Falcon's most trusted warriors in the reborn Band of the Falcon. And what's so wild about Zod is despite all that shit I just read, 
None of it matters. Right. He's like a cameo. It's like um, if you've played Sonic Generations, it's like when Silver appears. Right. Silver is from the future. He has this whole history, but in in Sonic Generations, Silver's just there. And right. in this game, Zod's just there. And then right. he goes away. <laughs> right. It's fan service, basically. Yeah. And uh, one thing that this the whole thing reminds me of is kind of like when you go to the, the cinema. I don't know if you, you were into Dragon Ball when it was uh, popular, but they would make all these movies. I was, movies. yeah. They made all these movies, right? And every time you watch the movies, you're like, oh, dude, what's going to happen in this one? They have so much lore and whatever. And then it's like a character that literally never showed up in any of the ma- of the anime. It would be like, oh, Garlic Jr. I guess Garlic Jr. did have a little arc randomly. But it would be like Garlic Jr. or some other character, like a guy that looks just like Goku, but ne- literally was never mentioned in any uh, manga at all. And it's just them fighting. This is basically what this game was, like a little side story. Right, yeah, and you know, it's funny you mention Dragon Ball, because I will mention that when I was in high school, I did a Dragon Ball Z webcomic, and it was starring Guru. Oh, yeah. Remember Guru, the big, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we did um, 200 200 episodes. They were like little MS Paint things, so I know Dragon Ball very well. But yeah, when I talk to people now about Dragon Ball, the thing I always ask them is, I'm like, is Guru in the new movie? And they're like, who? And I'm like, oh. Oh my god! My Go guru. back to the He's Namek the best saga. character. The I have saga. the Namek Saga on VHS. It's great. <laughs> the one with the when you connect the VHS, it makes one big picture. I have that. Yeah, I got it for like five bucks at a com- comic convention a couple of years ago. I was like, I gotta have this. Is it it's uncensored great. or censored? Because I think the oh, uncensored censored has, to hell. Yeah, because the uncensored one has a different uh, picture on the side, so mm. you you could be able. Yeah, I used to collect them, so I know. Yeah, um, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Zod's just—he's just there, um, and you know we've we've gone through the characters here, um, but what what do you think it is specifically about Guts that makes him such a strong character deserving of continuing on even past the creator's death? I think he wrote this story, especially in 1989, that was really pushing the boundaries of like grimdark i guess you would say that genre right where it's just like overly dark satanic uh like it makes you it's like a horror but an action sort of uh thing this was like almost seven years before the first game of thrones book was uh written which is considered right now the most popular grimdark uh media yeah yeah Yeah. so he was definitely that's interesting uh in this genre so yeah and there was, um, I mean, more recently, there's that uh, Attack on Titan, which got right. insanely popular. Right. And I'll be honest, I feel like general audiences are closeted gore hounds. Right. But they latch onto stuff like Game of Thrones and Attack on Titan and, and even Berserk, where they're like, they, they get this big story, but they're really there to see someone's head get chopped off. Like, even Breaking Bad, like, that's a gory show. Right. And, and you watch Better Call Saul... It's not a gory show. In fact, I think the the most violent act in the show is someone like getting shot in the kneecap until right. like the final few episodes yeah, yeah, where final. it just it's bloody. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just very interesting that like 
people will latch on to franchises like this that are super grim, super dark. I don't know how bloody this gets. Do they like show people's heads getting chopped off oh, and yeah. eyes being gouged? Oh, dude, if they okay. just stopped at that, I would be like, uh, I would watch the Golden Age arc or the Golden Age uh, Netflix movies. The last movie, right. you're like, oh, it's pretty normal. And then the last movie, you're like, oh, 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 don't, don't do that. Oh, please don't. And then they just continue and you're like, all right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, and you talk about the Netflix movie. So let's talk about the anime. So as is common with manga, an anime adaptation soon followed in 1997 with the first series of 25 episodes. And this series ran through 1998. And then in 2012, a film series kicked off adapting the Golden Age arc into a trilogy of animated films. And then finally, a second anime series made its debut in 2016 and adapted the manga's conviction arc and ran for 12 episodes episodes total. So, well, Berserk never truly an anime adaptation where it just kept going and going and adapted everything and then, like, surpassed the manga and, like, made new stories. It's I think it's more than most manga has have received to have, like, two series and three movies. Um, have you watched any of these adaptations, and do you have a favorite? I, I watched the Netflix Golden Arc one, and I think I saw a few episodes of the 97 one. I really like, mm -hmm. even though I don't like the animation, there's this new thing that they do for, like, Netflix animations. That, and it's not just Netflix. It's Japan General, where they try to blend um, CGI with 2D. And it's just, to me, it's super off-putting, especially someone that grew up with watching Ghost in the Shell, Akira, and all these, like, really high-budget animated stuff that was hand-drawn to watch something that's now trying to use cgi to make things cheaper so besides that i like it i think they did good pacing good story and i think it's a perfect way for new people to get into the main uh the anime the and i and the other thing you said there hasn't been an ultimate way of like they haven't told the story like panel by panel the way they kind of did in the actual manga and i and, and it sucks right. because i feel like a lot of other animes got that chance like attack on titan is basically that uh, most of dragon ball the actual canon stuff is all basically right. panel for, by panel so it's one piece uh you could go on and on death note but not this one and that's that kind of sucks to be honest <coughs> excuse me um yeah and that's kind of because i mean i'd love to read it but the idea of being able to watch it sounds really enticing. But the right. fact that, like, I, I guess you could watch them all and get a, a sense of the overarching story, but it really seems like they pick out the meaty bits and then adapt right. it instead of going, you know, whole hog and even doing stuff that might feel like filler. Mm -hmm. Hell, like, I could see a full adaptation adapting this game and placing it as an episode, you know? Arc, right? Um, like a yeah, arc exactly. In between, yeah. And and that's what so that's what we're talking about here. The video game is actually an at it's an adaptation of Berserk, um, but it, it's a little bit extra. So on this second talk, of course, we're going to be talking about I'm I'm, I'm going to read it again. Berserk Millennium Falcon Arc Chapter of the Flowers of Oblivion. So what do you think of that insane Japanese title? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know why Japanese people seem to really be into long titles. It's like they almost sound like when I was in high school, we used to make fun of hardcore bands that like every time they would have an album name or something, it would be like 
fallen down the gutter, but my heart is still broken in shattered glass. And it's like, why is your, <laughs> right. the name of your song so long? What, that's what it reminds me of. It's like a bunch of nonsense <laughs> just sprinkled in there. Okay. I guess it's to give it more of an epic flavor, but I, we should reach out to some of the Japanese uh, English speaking people we know. Um, you know, maybe maybe Liesl Wilkerson or Kiyoshi Okuma might be able to uh, shed some light on that. But it is really weird. And the fact that, like, this was 1999 and they're like, oh, yeah, let's put Millennium Falcon. You know, <laughs> like it, it was kind of a trend, though, right back then where everything was millennium, millennial out like Capcom went all out. It was like the millennial wars, the uh, whatever they called it. It was like every game had to right. use millennium. In it. Yeah. The well, thankfully, I'll be honest, I actually prefer the Western name, even though it is still a little messy. Right. Um, but the game released in Japan in on December 16th, 1999, predating Shenmue by 13 days. And this is notable because both games use QTEs. And oh. I'd, argue, I'd argue that Main, oh, Sega still did it first because no. um, Dynamite there... Decca does have QTEs as well. Um, so, so it's, it's not a competition, but even if it was Sega would still win. Uh, meanwhile, the game released March 2000 in America and May 2000 in Europe. And while the manga did not see a North American release until 2003, the 1997 anime adaptation, I believe did see a Western release, Mm. um, prior to the game. That's, that's from what I've found in my research. Um, however... Uh, let's see, it only applies to volumes 3 to 14 of the manga. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. The anime adaptation only adapts volumes 3 through 14. So, um, this game is not so much an adaptation as it is like a side story. It's a new chapter that takes place between volumes 22 and 23 of the manga right after Guts and Puck depart for Elfhelm with Casca but before um, these these guys catch up with them in the next chapter. So it's, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a throwaway story, but really the game is not an entry point for new fans because it's like a bonus story for longtime fans. Mm-hmm. Um, Miura is credited as a writer for the game and the music's composed by the anime series composer Susumu uh, Hirasawa, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and seeing as Berserk never had a Western release in any format up to the release of the video game, it's an it's a you know like a real curiosity that a side story taking place between volumes 22 and 23 of the manga is the entry point for many Western fans of the series. So, why do you think Eidos Interactive, who published this game in America, like decided to even release such an obscure franchise? I think it's because they I, I, personally. I think it's because they saw the popularity of anime happening in the West. Like mm. we said, it was like Dragon Ball was taking off really big. Uh, just a bunch of more anime stuff was happening in the West, and it felt like it was taking off. Like even Gundam for a while was even a thing. Like uh, that's shocking to me. That's such a Japanese franchise, but Cartoon Network tried to even give that a chance. So they probably thought maybe this would have been a little hit. And just they just had to publish it. Yeah, that's that's possible. Um, I'm thinking too is that there were so few easily adaptable 
games from Japan for America. Like, this is just a hack and slash. Like, they did go all out and giving it a new dub and, like, translating everything. But there's no deep menu system. There isn't a lot of, like, text to translate. It's it's really – it's probably just because it was, you know, a a hack and slash game with just a a focus on story. And like you said, manga – and anime were becoming really popular. So even though the franchise itself never really made it to the West yet, it did give you that flavor. Um, like I, I was shocked when I started playing this because this has been on my want list for a while. Mm. Uh, I don't own the physical game, so I burned a disc and played it this past week. And it it surprised me because I was expecting an RPG or something, but it's oh, really, really? It's, it's a, yeah, I was expecting a lot more than what they gave. Right. Um, so I was I was really surprised by that. Actually, I was happy because I was hoping it wouldn't be like some crazy deep game with like all these systems and stuff. I mean, the fact that Sonic Frontiers is a deeper game than sort of the Berserk Guts Rage, you know, like, right. That's kind of funny to me. Um, do you think the story taking place in the middle of a larger story actually kind of adds a sense of scale to an otherwise smaller game? Like the fact that there is all this stuff that that happened in the past and is going to happen. And as a Westerner, you're not aware of any of that really, but you sense it. Do you think right. that helps the story? I think it does. And it, and it kind of just adds a little more to it. Like, Oh, now the, this King's in this world, right? Like it makes it believable that this could be a, just a side adventure that never got written in the manga more than mm-hmm. something like, Dragon Ball, right? Like, how you can only have so many Earth-ending events before you're, like, rolling your eyes. And this is not a world-ending event, technically. It's just a little adventure and situation that Guts got himself in. But when you read, like, right. a, a movie of, like, Dragon Ball, it's like, oh, Broly is the strongest Saiyan ever you never heard of, and he's going to destroy the world. And it's like, this other character randomly came out of nowhere, and he's going to destroy the It's like... Yeah, come on. Right. right, like, imagine though you're like, you've never heard of Dragon Ball. You boot up a Dragon Ball video game, and the plot is Goku, Krillin, and Piccolo are like walking, and they happen upon a village. And you're like, who? this is such a weird trio of characters. How'd they get together? And like throughout the game, they kind of talk about their history and where they're going. And I don't know, there's something kind of like, like we, we as people who know Dragon Ball are like, oh, I get the context of this. But someone, you know, seeing it for the first time would be like, wow, there's like a whole story going on here that that I'm not even like clued into, but it seems pretty epic. And I, I mean, I, I can I can dig that. Like um, I put in the notes here, it's kind of like the original Star Wars. They uh, later called it Episode Force. So you're like, oh, there's a larger story. I never even saw one through three. Um didn't they so have I, other crazy ideas for that movie where they were going to call it something totally different like a hundred times? Mm, no. Well, I think what it was was when George Lucas was working on the films originally, he was calling it like from the adventures of, of Luke Skywalker and like was having it be like a larger umbrella that all these stories would fall under. I'm not sure. But um, let's let's get into the plot of the game. So – 
there's a I, I copy pasted a whole synopsis from the fan wiki. I did notice that like you put a, a lot, and I'm like, was there this much story in the game? <laughs> there is, but you know what? I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to save us some time. Right. But the good thing is, is, the whole intro paragraph is everything we talked about. They they travel to this town. There's these thing called Mandragorans. Um, Guts decides to do what Balzac asks of him, even though he knows that Balzac is like a messy Balzac. You know, he's he's not a good guy. So Mandalorians um, are in this game, and Mandragorians. And... Man, yeah, Mandragorian. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he he basically strips himself of his traveling companions. He's on his own. He confront confronts the Mandragorans' matriarch Erica who maintained her free will to protect the Mandragorans that grew uh, from the remains of a boy named Nico. So we talked about her. Um, and so he he kind of is like exploring all sides of this conflict, the people who support the Mandragorans, the people who want to destroy them. But in the end, he's, he's going to be killing them. So he fights his way uh, through the Mandragorans and Balzac's forces to reach the castle and Guts and Rita see this mysterious girl and take her with them. Uh, they reach Balzac's throne room. Guts demands to know where Casca is. Balzac only answers that they're too late to save her. Rita asks Balzac how all these events came to pass. And he recounts that he was once a kind ruler, but the pressure of juggling, you know, as we mentioned, his backstory. Um, and so he talks about how he, he basically caused this whole conflict because he was trying to save his wife. And despite this in his mad madness, Balzac drinks an even more potent extract of Mandragora's heart, transforming him into a, a monstrous figure, and Guts quickly dispatches him. I think this is the um, the boss fight that Michael was talking about at the, the beginning. Um, however, and saves Casca from the fully grown Mandragora. In a cruel twist of fate, Casca's exposure to the Mandragora briefly restores her sanity with Guts forced to watch her revert to her state, catatonic state, once more. So it is like a little bit of fan service here because obviously people enjoying the manga never knew that she like briefly got out of it. Mm. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of cool. I don't know. Um, the dying Balzac, <laughs> uh, right. he dies and uh, he offers Annette's life as his sacrifice in order to be reborn. As an apostle, Guts finds himself forced into battle once more, but manages to defeat the the apostle Balzac, despite his newfound found powers. Isn't that wild? Well, With the town wild. reverting to some normalcy, Guts and the group continue their journey, Rita promising not to forget them. And we never see Rita again, so they forgot her. She totally um, forgot. And then some, sometime after Guts's group leave, the Skull Knight appears in Balzac's castle and and swallows Balzac's <laughs> behelot, whatever the hell that is. So, <laughs> swallowing Balzac. Um, yeah, so, you know, if, you, yeah, if you're wondering why I spent so much time laying out the story, that's because the story is really what makes up a bulk of this game. Often cutscenes are like 10 minutes or more long. Right. It's crazy. It's like you're playing Metal Gear Solid. Um, in fact, the first time I sat down to play this game, I played it for a full hour and I had to go do something, so I, I hit pause, it said save game, saved, walked away, came back the next day, loaded my save, the game started from the first scene. I was like, what the hell? So apparently, the game has these like chapters, but they never mm -hmm. make you really 
they never make it clear when they are, and your save will only apply to when that chapter has has happened. And on top of that, the game doesn't really have a like item system, so it's not saving anything. It's just like a bookmark, basically. Um, so yeah, so unfortunately, when I came back to load the game, I started all over. Um, how about the gameplay? So gameplay uh, in in sort of the Berserk uh, is similar to most beat-em-ups at the time. Players are tasked with taking out hordes of enemies and fighting their way through linear stages as well as boss fights. Uh, Guts is equipped with his Dragon Slayer sword and tools that come from his prosthetic arm. Two buttons control different attacks with jump attack and crowd control moves also available. Tools available to Guts include the arm cannon, bombs, healing powder, and throwing knives, and every item except for the knives are limited, so you need to collect more by breaking things around. You know, like vases and boxes, everyone's... That, right. Talking about Sonic Frontiers, that, that, that island is littered with crates. There's right. so many boxes everywhere. It's so silly. Um, and uh, my, my favorite move is the fact that you can put your sword away, you can sheathe it, and then right. you can move faster and use your fists as well as a crossbow as alternate weapons. And that's it. That's the extent of the gameplay. Um, sort of the Berserk is uh, really, a, it's a visual novel with punches of arcade action to move the story along. There's no real RPG elements, despite the game on the surface really looking like it could be an action RPG, and there are no open world areas for you to explore. So I'm sorry I keep talking about Sonic, but like Sonic Adventure is more of an epic game than Sword of the Berserk. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny. So do you think Berserk could have been adapted to like a deeper RPG? Oh yeah, like when when I first played the uh, the Witcher, the Witcher Two or the mm -hmm. Witcher Three, every single time I'm like this this world, this idea behind it, it reminds me so much of Berserk. Like this guy that's just doing these like weird contracts or whatever. Like this is what this reminded me of. He goes into this town, finds out what's happening in this town, and he gets involved in the in whatever drama is happening in this town. Right, right. And that's a lot of the stories right. of the Witcher in the game. And I'm always like thinking to myself. This could have been, like, they could use this engine and make a really good Berserk game. Like, make it more action-oriented with the big sword and his we the hand with all the weapons in it, like the, the, the prosthetic arm. It just lends itself right. to an RPG game where you could upgrade it and figure stuff out and unlock new things. Uh, so, yeah, definitely think it could be a deeper RPG. Obviously, this did not have the budget for that. So, I think they did a good job for what they had. I also noticed yeah. that it's a super short game. Did you notice that? It's like two hours. Right. Yeah. It's like maybe maybe yeah. four with the cutscenes, but like gameplay wise, it's probably less. It's probably like like an hour. And 50 right. Minutes. Like at the top of our discussion about the game, I, I put the um, video of gameplay in the notes. Do we have that going right now? Right. Yeah. It's going in the background. It's it's probably you've probably seen a fourth of the game already. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's wild. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I didn't put it in the notes, but there was a second Berserk game in 2016, 2017, to the, at least for Western audiences, it was on the PS4, Vita, and Windows. And that is actually from the uh, Koi Tecmo's Dynasty Warriors um, uh, publisher. So it definitely plays like a Dynasty Warriors game. So again, it's, 
it's going more for the beat-em-up hack-and-slash rather than the RPG. So Berserk never really has been given that sort of open-world RPG setting. Honestly, I, I... Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, um... Yeah, so, I mean, the game is not perfect. Some of the major negatives are just how dated and at times poorly animated and uh, frame the cutscenes can be. Like, if you look at that opening cutscene, it's like they... Like, the characters move, don't they move weird? They're like... Right. The animation is definitely like They uh, snap to, like, poses. Yeah, it's super amateur. Um, it, it's it's almost like the developer never made a game like this, uh, which oh, is actually geez. true. No. Um, uh, Gameplay-wise, guts in his sword are so large that players will often accidentally hit a wall, causing the sword to bounce off and slowing gameplay to a standstill, leaving Guts open to enemy attacks. And given the uh, often corridor-like nature of the environments, this happens a lot to players who do not learn to put their sword away when they should. Uh, On the opposite end of the spectrum, there is a very cool Berserk mode that triggers when Guts takes enough damage, which turns him invincible and more powerful, and even prevents his sword from hitting the wall for a limited time. So that's kind of funny, like... He goes supersonic when he's about to die. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on the gameplay? Is it too basic, or is it just basic enough well, so that you can get, like enjoy the story? It's basic, and I think it really makes you appreciate the work that developers put into something like Bayonetta three or Bayonetta two, or you know, or mm. Devil May Cry games where you're like, or wow. Sonic Frontiers, <laughs> or even Sonic Frontiers, right? There's some depth yeah. into it, right? So the, it makes you happy that they do that and it really makes you go like wow they're this is what a not good action game plays like i love this game because it was an anime right but the gameplay is very shallow and like you said it was really annoying where they always put you in corridors but you have this big old seven foot sword and i'm like but i want to use the big sword i have come on man so um, right in my opinion i think they should have stuck with more open-ended areas and let you just go crazy with your big sword that they gave you like you can't give us a big sword and not want us to use it all the time come on guys Um, right but outside of that i I enjoyed the game for what it was a small tie-in anime game right exactly like it, it doesn't go above and beyond but it works for what it is it's it's fun i think really the story is what keeps you playing like i said it's like a visual novel and instead of having like a dating sim or something to connect everything or real time strategy, uh, it's it's just a hack and slash game. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with um, that. Uh, as mentioned, the game's composer also composed the 1997 anime, and uh, Susumu Hirasawa is his name. And I'm sure the music is a great bit of fan service for Japanese fans of the franchise, as well as those coming to play the game in the West years later having finally seen the anime. The music suits the creepy and sad nature of the world of Berserk, and despite the sound effects mixing issues, it is well implemented. Uh, did you enjoy the music, and would you be playing this next Halloween as trick-or-treaters are coming by? I, I thought it was a very <laughs> epic sounding to me. Um, I liked it. I'm trying to remember like specific tracks. I'm listening to some in the background right now because we're playing it. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it was pretty good. I don't, I don't know anything that, like, was off about it. I'm trying to think, right. like... It's foreboding. 
foreboding. It's haunting. Yes. It's haunting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they did a good job in the soundtrack. Um, I'm trying to remember if, I, if there's any tracks where I was like, yeah, I have that on my playlist. But sadly, I don't. Maybe this is a soundtrack I should go back and give it a deeper listen to. Um, what do you For think sure. about the soundtrack as a newcomer? It suits... It suits the game. I think it's good. I'm not going to be throwing it on and like jamming out to it while I work. But um, it's funny because 1997 is a long time ago. But if you were playing this game, the anime was just a few years old. So it's really like 97, the anime starts. 98, the anime ends. 99, the video game comes out. But what's interesting, like I mentioned, is the anime covered chapters like 3 through 14. Right. And this story takes place between 22 and 23. So it's like it, it utilizes elements of the anime, like the music, but it very clearly is not connected to the anime because it jumps ahead quite a bit. So you're getting like if you were not reading the manga and you were only taking in like the, the video game and anime contact content, you weren't even getting a whole story, even if you were in Japan. So it's. It's weird to me still, but it's it's an it's nice that they had the uh, the composer come back. I don't know right. if there's a guts theme. I haven't watched the original anime, but I'm I'm assuming like there are similar themes and everything. And um, uh, I mean, yeah, and that's an issue with Berserk, right? Like it felt like the franchise was never on the same page. Like when somebody adapts something, they always pick pick something really specific or you know like right oh it's gonna be from chapters 23 to 24 between those or it's uh we're gonna adapt chapter 3 to 14 it's like uh that's random or the netflix uh takes the flashbacks or the prologue and they give you that the manga doesn't start like that it's it actually starts off after the events of the uh, movie the netflix movie so it's just weird right the, the way they adapt it and yeah, I mean, to make draw comparisons to Sonic again, since he's always on my mind, I always right. he's always with me. Um, like right now, they're hiring people to form a team within Sega who will make sure all of the Sonic media is consistent. So like, the comics are following what's in the games, which are following what's in like potential TV shows. Like everything gels. Right. And I remember a time in 1999 when this game was coming out, where the Sonic media in America was all over the place. Like. In 1999, we had the first 3D Sonic game. We had a Sonic anime movie that was like four years late in coming to America. We had a Sonic Underground TV series. All of these starred Sonic. None of them connected. It was so confusing. And so imagine Berserk hitting in Japan, and it's like, oh, remember that that uh, that manga from 10 years ago? Right. Well, here's an anime. And then here's a game that takes place like 10, 10 issues or 10 volumes later that has no connection. It's just, it's sloppy. And I, I think, I think Berserk deserves better. I honestly wish that someone would just announce an anime that's adapting from the beginning and would even be like, we're going to do the game. And like, right. I don't know. It just, it's, it's a shame. I'm sure the, the stuff out there is great, but it's just, it's, it's kind of like the manga is your go-to source for Berserk. Otherwise, you're just getting bits and pieces. Um, let's let's talk about the developers. So the game was developed by Yuke's Company Limited and published by ASC2 or ASCII in Japan. And if uh, if you just said to yourself, "Huh, who are those people?" Well, I wouldn't blame you because, well, 
They are well-established. They are typically not known for hack-and-slash games or even video game adaptations of anime. In fact, ASC2, I'll call them ASC2 because that's how I always said it, right. uh, was founded in 1977. And during their early years, they focused on the development of game hardware and software. They are best known for creating a number of controllers for Sega home consoles, which are most likely where you heard the name. They are probably most famously known to Western fans for the ASC2 Pad, uh, which uh, ASC2 Pad FT, excuse me, which is an excellent fighting pad for the Dreamcast and was later repurposed to work with the PS2 using similar designs. And ASC2 also published various strategy guides, including those for Fantasy Zone, Shining Force 2, and Virtua Fighter. And I have a link, if we want to look at it, to the uh, Sega Retro page. You can see all of the cool controllers and games they made. Like, it's an interesting uh, discography and, like, or softography. And, like, you know, it's like they did everything. They even... I think they published, like, Famitsu Dreamcast. Like, they... Yeah, they were the publisher of Famitsu Dreamcast. Wow. Like, just bizarre. They published a Saturn magazine called Tech Saturn, which ran for... Like, they they went out in 2002. It's crazy how many companies went under, like, around the era where Dreamcast was like, I'm out. And then all of a sudden, all these, like, smaller companies couldn't make it. Yeah, I mean, all of these companies really relied on Sega. And so when Sega was like, well, we're going to we're going to pull out of the market, like imagine all these companies who were like, we were making hardware for you and making magazines. Right. Uh, but yeah, ASC, too, they're they're an interesting one. Like their earliest credited game is Solitaire Poker oh. for um, the System 16 hardware. Like I've never heard of this game before. And then the castle is 86. So that's actually older technically. Oh yeah, that's right. SG SG one thousand, the castle. I'm looking at that, like that looks like a. What is this? The cover is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah, the game has a fairly standard plot of rescuing a princess from a castle, though the game itself was considered very large at the time. Okay, so it's kind of like Metroid and Castlevania oh, that's pretty inspired cool for that era. Yeah, so it's interesting, you know, ASC two. Um, Largely a hardware company, they did dip their toes into game development and publishing, having developed or published at least one game for each Sega console. And then the game's developer, Yuke's Company Limited, is based in Osaka and was established in 1993. The company is best known for developing WWE video games for the West based off of the professional wrestling organization of the same name, a license that lasted from 2012 I think I, I should say 2002. I'll have to check that. It's crazy. All the way to 2018. Yeah, yeah. And prior to and after their WWE games, they also developed Japanese-specific pro wrestling games and games carrying the AEW license. And most notably, uh, they developed one of the Earth Defense Force games. Remember those EDF? Classic Game Room would always talk about them. Well, they still make the games, and uh, yeah, I've played a few of them. They're pretty fun co-op, shoot everything that's in front of you kind of game, so. Yeah. Cool. Um, I would say that yeah. that their uh, sophography and uh, 
Sega Retro needs to be updated because they're missing a lot of games. But they, they, according to this, they did uh, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Tokyo 22 Games or whatever. In yeah, it's interesting because they they actually have done licensed games, but not anime licenses. They've done Pacific Rim and that really bizarre, I think it's Hugh Jackman robot boxing game, Real oh, Steel. Remember that? I it's remember like, that. I it's like BattleBots. Yeah, yeah. So they made video games based on those movies, and those are straight-up fighting games. So really, their their bread and butter are like wrestling, fighting games, and then the occasional like sports game. I, I don't know if they did full development on Mario and Sonic, but they must have like they helped, helped develop like, like yeah, exactly. Um, so looking at the output of the game's developer, do you think they were the right choice for a Berserk game? And if not, if you could pick any other developer to make a Berserk game, who would you pick and why? Okay, first of all, that one's easy, right? I mean, it's either like CD Projekt because they're so huge in the West, in Poland or whatever. Um, uh-huh. But if I had to pick it, it would have to be a Japanese developer because it's a Japanese franchise. So I would go for, from software because Elden Ring literally looks like the world of Berserk but in a video game already. So right. I, that's an easy pick, right? The guys that made Elden Ring will 100% make a really sick um, Berserk game easily. Um, what about you? Like, uh, what? I mean, oh, and also, I don't think they're the right pick. Like, if I had to go back in time and they had to talk to me in a boardroom, I'd be like, we should probably get somebody a little more experienced. But I think they did well for the budget and not having that talent to make a beat em up game or a. What do they call these? Like slash and hack game. So mm-hmm. hack I would and give slash. them credit yeah, yeah. for what they did for sure. I if I could pick one, it would it would be between. I'd actually like to see one from um, RGG Studio because oh. I know they've dipped their toes in anime adaptations, and I think Season this one. Star. Yeah, I think knowing what they know now, I think they could really knock it out of the park, like graphically. Gameplay-wise, with a little overworld, like I, I think it could be fun. I also, for some reason, I'm thinking Red Entertainment, who did Gungrave, mm-hmm. just because they do some really. They're not around anymore. I, was gonna I say, don't I was think. Gonna look them up. I don't think they are around, right? No, it was they. Okay, so in 2011, Red Entertainment was acquired by Chinese game developer uh, Yultazen Games Limited in 2014. They were sold to the Oizumi Corporation. So they are long gone. But I don't know. Like, I just remember Gungrave and liking it. And they actually did a few Gungrave games. So that's pretty right. cool. Not even, I think they Gungrave made some, Overdose. Right. They made some, like, not that long ago, right? On the PlayStation 4. I want to say 4, maybe? Yeah, yeah, you'd be right. Right. Okay. So, I, yeah, I, I just, I feel like it's a, it's a franchise that's just like dying to be properly adapted both in anime and video game. And what we've gotten has been good, but not great. But how, how much did people like this game at the time? I was surprised this game um, was actually seen to receive quite positive reviews, several sevens and eights out of tens, lots of B pluses. Next gen magazine said the game controls reasonably well, (laughs) And looks fantastic. You'll get your money's worth, but the gameplay design is far from perfect. And there's too much exposition for the amount of action. Mm. Uh, in Japan, 
Famitsu gave the game a 30 out of 40, and in UK, the official Dreamcast magazine gave it a 73. In their retrospective article, Hardcore Gaming 101, which served as a source for my notes on this episode, was largely negative on the game. They said it would have fared better as a movie or OVA and said that the main appeal was the exclusive story it tells and the weak gameplay ended up feeling like an obstacle. And only a few hours in length and a handful of unlockable extras like Boss Rush, Mode, and a mini-game starring Puck were just not enough to make this worthy of a video game in your eyes. So how would you rate sort of the Berserk Guts Rage? And do you think the game holds up, or do you... uh, Com- how would how would it compare to like other games in the Dreamcast library? So tie-in games, I would say it's probably one of the better tie-in games, especially anime tie-in games, because the Dreamcast uh-huh. did not have that many anime tie-in games. I'm pretty sure if you looked them up, there would probably be like a couple, and uh, they right. were probably even lower budget than this. This actually felt like there was a budget, and there was like actual 3D models, and there was some like sets they made for the the beat em up aspect of it that was pretty cool at the time i bought this at circuit city so like that's a long time ago since they're not around <laughs> um they had it for like 10 bucks on discount and i was like i've never heard of this looked at it looked at the back i'm like oh it looks gory and it's anime so i bought it and i was super surprised at how much how much fun i had with the game and how much i liked the cutscenes and the story in the world they were trying to tell, I, I really got attached to it, which made me want to read the manga. So it did mm-hmm. its job for America and what it's supposed to do. At the time, I probably would have gave it a B, but now going back to yeah. it, how it's aged, probably be a low yeah. C because the gameplay is very, like you said, it's an obstacle to get to the cutscenes to finish the game. Right. And it's pretty bland in the way of design. There's not that much design, like, there's not a lot of use of design on the combat to make it interesting. So I would right, say yeah. that, that, so that's probably a few of its issues that you could tell design wise. Yeah. But I still find the game to have its charm and I have a lot of nice nostalgic feelings for it, which I think makes me biased. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I like about it is despite its simplicity, it's accessible. Mm-hmm. Like I own close to, I own over 200 Dreamcast games. I have not played all of them, but there are some that I'll I'll pop the disc in and I'm like, "All right, let's give this one a shot." And I'm like, "Oh my god, it's 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 2 hours before I even get into the game and there's like a whole menu system and like it's a 30-hour endeavor and like I have to learn all this new shit. Like I don't have time for this." Right. And it was so refreshing to pop this disc in and be like, "Let's check a playthrough to see, you know, oh, it's 2 hours." Okay, let's go through it. Oh, there's no RPG system. I'm not, there's no file management system. Like it, it basically, I, I think as you progress, it's pretty much just like the little items you pick up for your like health and like little weapons. That's about it. Like there's nothing, there's no leveling up. There's no stats. There's no skill tree. It's the most basic beat em up you're going to get from the era. Because I think after this games couldn't afford to be this simplistic and I think that's part of its charm is it's like kind of like the end of an era. I, I even think like PS, PS1 games were a little more beefier, you know, than right. this. Like I was a big fan of the Tenchu games, Tenchu, Tenchu mm-hmm. 2. Um, those had more depth and those were like, those predate this. So right. 
it's, I don't know, like it's kind of nice to just have, sit back, enjoy the narrative, hack and slash through. It's not unforgiving, you know, like it is a very easy game to beat. Um, There's very little, like you mentioned Bayonetta, there's very little skill involved with this. It's not like you're pulling off parrying and like Mm -hmm. witch time and all this kind of stuff. But that's what makes Bayonetta so great and fun. And I think this game would definitely benefit from being a great beat-em-up. But the fact that it's serviceable and just very accessible is actually works in its favor. But like you said, like at the time it probably was a B plus. And I don't want to get super attached to scores and letter grades, but this definitely would slip. Like if, if we were to do a retro review, C minus, you know, like it's just, it, it is what it is. There's nothing that great about it. But I think when you compare the Dreamcast library to it, there's nothing like this, you know, it's either, there are not that many action adventure beat em up games on the Dreamcast. I'm trying to think there's zombie revenge, I, I think Zombie of Revenge is probably the closest to this, but that right. doesn't have a great story. No. Um, what else am I thinking of? Uh, Dynamite Cop 2. Um, Max Steel. Remember that game? Max oh, Steel. Yeah. It I was do remember a that game. Mattel, Mattel Interactive. It was de- developed by Treyarch. Um, that game was fine, but like, there is not that much easily accessible beat them up with a great story on the Dreamcast. And I think that's what sets this game apart and probably why so many people have great memories of it. Even you, you know? Right. Um, I was going to say that so spe- this yeah, game actually came out two years before the the first Devil May Cry game, which people consider the game that reinvented action games. So yeah. it's that old where I, I don't give it too much grief for not you know having so much new systems within it. And I went back and played the first Devil May Cry game, and I was shocked at how simple the game was. It was more like Berserk than it is like Bayonetta. Bayonetta seems to be like, you know, when they involved more and more Devil May Cry games, they started adding more systems and more ideas that made it more complicated, which made it what people think of the action games today. Right. And it right. didn't start off like that, and this one was even before that. So that's all I'm saying. It's like super early action games before there was nothing to copy or nothing to innovate before, you know? So it's like, can't really expect too much from them. Yeah. And I I think a lot of people didn't. So they were kind of surprised when they picked this up and they're like, Oh, this is actually pretty fun. Right. Um, But you know, it's like a, it's like a movie you watch once and you don't return to, I don't think that many people are like, Oh, cause there's no stage select. Mm -hmm. Really? There's like a boss rush mode. But it's it's not a it's not a return to explore, unlock the other, you know, unlock the map. You know, there's none of that going on. But um, we have some Patreon memories here. Uh, If you support us at any level, you get to share your memories of the game at the end. And we have two here. First up, we have Daniel Andres. And uh, unfortunately, he doesn't kick it off with, oh, my God, guys. You know, he doesn't get super. I'm just going to say, no, no. He said, I've recently played this one, ironically, and it's pretty epic. Still need to finish the anime and manga. Yeah, you're going to be reading that manga for years before you you catch up with it. It's still going. Uh, Ben Hayward says, it's my first time hearing about this, but possibly the best name ever. Yeah, what I really like about the name I didn't mention was that it's Guts Rage, but they got the little apostrophe. Right. After the S, just like with Tails, like right. 
I don't know. It's Did it's. Did he make a sort of, of tales? Tales is rage. Tales is tales is rage. Yeah, it's such a sloppy title. They could have called. They could have called it Sword of the Berserk. That's it, because there is no other game. It, it sounds like a subtitle, because there's like a whole franchise out there, but there isn't. It's just funny. Um, George, what are we talking about next time? Do you know? Yeah. Well, you you guys should play the banner music because we're going in on the Sega Genesis SRPG classic Shining Force 2. A, I don't know, what will you call Shining Force 2? Will you call it a, the one of the, the SRPG for the Sega Genesis console? I got some bad news for you, George. Oh, no. What happened? It's the conduit, too. Oh, all right, I, I'm not. <laughs> he just logged off. No, I'm just. Kidding. No, um, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend that I started the notes on Shining Force Two. I'm not gonna say that because that would make me a, a, a bozo and a dumb dumb. And obviously, I've never made mistakes in my life. So I'm definitely ready to do the Conduit Two in the next episode, of course. And I'm excited but... because uh, I love the Conduit. I, I swear, I thought we did the Conduit Two. No? We did the first one only? We did Conduit 1. Alright, next time we're going to do Conduit... <laughs> okay. So next time we talk about the Wii Classic Conduit 2, <laughs> a sequel to the Wii Classic to Conduit 1 from Sega developer from... Oh wait, they're not even Sega developer. What is it? From... No, not from... Uh, High Voltage Studios. So we'll catch you. We'll find out more about the game, the contest around it, and the history and legacy of the conduit too. Bye. Bye.